You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Hi, friends. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have here in the United States. This is episode 165 of American Sex Podcast. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're both sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts, too, that just so happen to be non-monogamously married to each other. Oh, I am so excited about our guest. Our first guest back is Midori. But real quick. I want to say hi, because it's been a minute. We have been on hiatus all summer, and this is our first episode back in something like eight eight weeks, nine weeks, maybe. Um, And while we were gone, lots of stuff happened. Let me tell you about it. Uh, First big thing, American Sex Podcast celebrated its fourth birthday on August 9th, and that day is also... Ken and my wedding anniversary, it was our seventh this year. But yeah, when we first released the podcast that day, it was kind of our anniversary gift to each other. And then we went out and ate crab legs. It was kind of awesome. I also had a milestone birthday on August 2nd. I turned the big 5-0. I know, I can't believe it, right? I feel like I'm, I don't know, 22, 27, something maybe 30 tops. Uh, It's all a state of mind, right? My knees are falling apart, but we won't talk about that. Anyway, I also uh, spent a lot of time working on the book that I'm writing. Uh, It's called Customizable Kink, A Strategic Guide to Adult Play. I got a lot done, but am I as far along as I wanted to be by the end of hiatus? Not really. But you know what? I'll take what I can get. I still got a lot accomplished. I did lots of other stuff too. You know, I didn't completely take off. I was still on social media somewhat. It was a little light here and there. But one of the things I didn't step back from at all was releasing bi-weekly episodes of my other podcast, which is called Open Deeply. And I co-host it with therapist Kate Lurie. And Ken remained busy too. A few times a week, he DMs Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder on Twitch. And that includes his very special Monday game. It's with a great group of folks, including adult star Xander Corvus. And this is a mutual aid game. So each week, they raise money for charity. They, you know, organizations like Sex Worker Aid Las Vegas. So it's it's a good game too. It's really good and for a good cause. And Ken and I cooked up some other things that maybe we're not going to tell you now, but you'll be learning about them in the coming weeks and the coming months. And of course, you know, self-care is important. We got much needed rest and relaxation too. Did it feel like we got quite enough? No, but does it ever? You know what? We'll take what we can get at this point. But now, yeah, Midori is our guest. And oh, so excited. I love Midori to bits and pieces. If you don't know Midori, she is a trailblazing educator, sexologist, artist, and 
irritant to banality. Uh, Midori founded Rope Dojo and Fortifem, Women's Dominance Intensive. She penned the first English instruction book on Shibari titled Seductive Art of Japanese Bondage in 2001, which paved the way for the popularity of rope. Dan Savage calls Midori the supernova of kink, while others affectionately call her anti-Midori for her cool, tell-it-like-it-is, funny, reality-based teaching. She's also the author of Wild Side Sex, Master Han's Daughter, and Silk Threads. And during the pandemic, Midori's been doing all sorts of amazing stuff online. Seriously, so much stuff. I'll have all of Midori's links in the show notes, and you can check out what she's got going on. But I'm going to tell you about one of the things she's got going on right now, because it was sort of the foundation of our conversation. Midori has recently partnered with the Sexual Health Alliance to create the very first kink certification program of its kind for care professionals. So that includes, but is not limited to, therapists, coaches, uh, sex educators, social workers, sex workers, even medical and legal professionals. Basically, anyone in a profession who can better serve their clients by knowing the real facts about BDSM and the real facts about people who engage in BDSM. And, you know, I mean, definitely going beyond the myths and the stigma that popular culture and even the mental health field perpetuates about kink. So that was the backdrop for our larger conversation that you're about to hear. Um, The intersection between kink and mental health is where we focused. You know, up until recently, the mental health industry did not take BDSM education seriously. You know, people like me, people like Midori, you know, we were cute, but we weren't valuable in a professional sense, nor was the information that we gave. But something has since shifted. And in this conversation with Midori, Ken and I and, and Midori talk about the common kink assumptions that not only the general public believes, but the myths that are perpetuated within the kink community itself that contribute to bias within the mental health industry. And many ways that we can get rid of that bias and shift the prevailing attitude about BDSM from being pathological to being acceptable, you know, as a, a a healthy outlet for creativity and resilience and valid erotic expression. We also touch on the ways relationship and domestic abuse hides within kink and how that can affect our relationship with therapists, doctors, or any care professional that we come into contact with. So definitely, if you are a care professional, There's so much great stuff in this episode for you. And if you work with a care professional, you know, you have a therapist, a coach, your doctor, whatever, and you want them to know more about the realities of BDSM, please have them listen to this episode. And of course, consider signing up for kink-informed certification. You know, it's a self-paced program, and they're only accepting new participants, I think, for the next few weeks, and then that's it. All the links are in the bio. Anyway, but if none of this applies to you, if you're not a care professional, or you don't have a care professional that you want to know more about kink, uh, everything we talk about in this conversation still applies to you, no matter your degree of kinkiness or vanilla-ness. Ah, it's so good. But of course, before we roll that conversation, let's 
wash the balls. That's what we call housekeeping here on American Sex Podcast. And first, you know what time it is, right? It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. I want to give a big, huge welcome and heartfelt appreciation to Faith, Glenda, and Kate Creates for becoming recent American Sex Podcast Patreon members. And you know what? You can become one too. Just go to patreon.com slash American Sex and you're going to get stuff, you know, bonus audio from our guests, extra episodes, all of our regular episodes early. I'll send you American Sex Podcast stickers in the mail. You get a shout out on the podcast and a bunch more stuff too. Ken and I, we give the majority of our content away for free because, you know, and that's a lot more than just this podcast because we feel that these are important, crucial life-changing, relationship-improving conversations, and everyone should have access to them. So by supporting us, you allow our content to remain free for everyone. Again, that's patreon.com slash American Sex. And I also want to find out, are are you a member of our Sex Positive Discord community? Because if not, come on and join us. It's at bit.ly slash Discord ASP. And again, all the links we talk about in this episode will be in the show notes. So don't worry if you can't jot it down quickly. And, you know, on the Discord, we talk about all sorts of things, of course, sex and kink, but you know, also mental health and off topic stuff too. It's a fun community and we'd love for you to join us. Lastly, I've got a few classes coming up. They're all virtual. The first is on Saturday, the 11th of September. I'm teaching Hot and Healthy Erotic Humiliation for the Sex Down South Conference, one of my favorite conferences. And then on October 15th, I'll be teaching the Psychological Appeal of BDSM on behalf of KPACT for Mental Health Professionals. And also, Midori is bringing me on to teach a course for the Sexual Health Alliance's Kink Certification Program. That one's called Kink Organizations and Resources, Assisting Clients in Building Support Networks. And again, all of those links will be in the show notes. And one little tiny, teeny last thing. Okay, so you know this is a homegrown podcast, right? I don't know if you can hear my cat meowing in the background. Like, I do all the editing myself. It's not fancy. I am in no way, shape, or form a professional sound engineer, but thankfully... I am paranoid, and that makes up for the fact that I actually have no audio skills. And because uh, when we were recording this conversation, we lost a chunk of, of Midori's track, but I was able to swap in my backup. But I want to let you know, about 45 minutes in, uh, the sound quality is going to vary drastically on Midori's track. Don't freak out. It's only for like six or seven minutes, and then it goes back to normal. But I wanted to give you a heads up because it might sound a little weird. Um, But yeah, write it out with us. It'll totally be worth it in the end. All right. These balls are now squeaky clean. Here is Midori taking us from the dungeon to the couch, talking about how those within the kink community are educating the next generation, well, and the current generation of kink-informed therapists and care professionals. On the line, we have perhaps our favorite American sex podcast guest, but don't tell the other guests that. Uh, Midori is joining us. Hi, Midori. Hi, Midori. And I'm telling Hi. the other guests, by the way. I'm totally Don't tell the other guests. I'm telling them. I well, totally won't tell anyone. <laughs> I'm a narc. Oh, Ken ruining everything. So, um, everybody pretends they don't have favorites. 
We all have favorites. Come on. <laughs> we all have favorites. Oh, don't give up our secrets. Anyway, <laughs> as most of your appearances on American Sex Podcast start out with, and I think, is this your fourth? Fifth? I don't know. It's something. It's fourth? A- maybe fourth? Yeah, yeah. And I know oftentimes we'll be talking about something offline and we'll be like, ooh, oh, we've got to talk about that on the podcast. And then, you know, we, we record together. So here we are. We had been having conversations about um, BDSM and the field of mental health and how the relation to those two things has historically been one way, but things are starting to change. Did I sum that up like Right? Do you have more oh, to add to that? Oh, beautifully, <laughs> beautifully. And, and also parallel to that, there's also other ways in which people are thinking about BDSM and mental health in a different way that weaves right into that. And I am so glad we're getting to talk about this. Yes, yes. So I want to start with one question because I have been seeing this floating around, not in, you know, mental health professional circles. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, when we're saying mental health, we're using it loosely to be therapists, coaches, like the, the larger yeah, professional coaches, circle. Yeah. And, and expanding large enough to also include social workers as yes. well. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hearing from not professional circles, but, you know, BDSM practitioner circles, just people talking on the internet. And one of the latest, I'm going to call it a myth, hopefully you'll agree with me. Uh, I've been hearing a lot is all of your kinks represent your traumas. Everything you do in the dungeon or the bedroom or the kitchen, wherever you practice kink, is because you have trauma. And oh, there's such a connection to mental health and kink. It's all about trauma. Um, is that true in your eyes, Midori? Oh my God, are we back to talking about that again? <laughs> in the world? Uh, and you know, what's interesting though, is that who's saying it has changed, right? Right. Um, yeah, because uh, historically, also medically and legally, BDSM or kink, that whole wide range of things that we do, and yes, listeners, I do. I do indeed. Um, <laughs> uh, usually the one-way conversation are the authorities of of medical science telling us that this is wrong and and that it is a mental disorder and it's in the DSM, all that, all that, and uh, castigating us uh, uh, kinksters under that. And for many years, there have been uh, kink BDSM leather activists saying, no, no, it's not. Uh, it's it's like being gay, lesbian, queer, etc. It's it's the stigma that's the issue, not the things we do. But then now, um, I also hear on kind of going all the way to the way left mm-hmm. is that everything that what you were just saying that everything we do is a reflection of of trauma, and we've gone full circle enough to end up back there again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's interesting when people bring that up to me, you know, I, in one way I'm like, well, no. 
And in another way, I'm like, well, kind of, yes, in the way that everything we do, whether it's vanilla, whether, you know, it's at the grocery store, whether it's, of course, it's an amalgamation of our past experiences, including trauma, that makes us the person we are, you know, it's no greater in kink or in vanilla sex or in going to Starbucks and getting a coffee or in, you know, uh, I don't know. Me, I was I was not as passive aggressive as I usually am before we started mm-hmm. recording. So me like achieving a new level of directness, whatever. Like it's no different. I mean, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, it's it, there's such a range that the generalization uh, the generalization in itself is harmful. I mean, I I understand that in general this is meant well, as a way to, you know, what's nice is that there's acknowledgement that the people who are kinky have mental health issues that may or may not be related to the kink, but now ascribing all of our activities to uh, past trauma. Yeah, and I agree with you. Every decision we make is based upon based upon uh, all that has contributed to your existence now. Yeah. Oh, you know, um, um, a myth that I was talking with a, uh, with somebody about a commonly held myth is that that all kinky people come from uh, screwed up families. Right. To which I answered, "Is it not possible that it is a sampling error? Is it not possible that all people come from fucked up families, and right. some of them are kinky?" Right. Yeah. I mean, come on, like vanilla people grew up in Leave It to Beaver. Leave It to Beaver was also pretty fucked up. Maybe they grew up with 1950s housewife kinks. I don't know. But uh <laughs> I, I don't know of any human that has a non-damaged right. family in, in some capacity. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody gets away scot-free with that. There's some kind of trauma from somewhere. And there was a study that, and I, I can't remember offhand, I talk about it in my book, and like frequently I'll, I'll reference it in writing, um, that... Uh, tried to determine, you know, are kinksters more mentally fucked up than, you know, their vanilla counterparts? And they found that, no, they're pretty much exactly on par, if not just Mm -hmm. the tiniest bit, slightly bit more well adjusted. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's like, we're just like anybody else. Right, and the slightly more well-adjusted, this is not scientific, this is my speculation right. on it, is if a person is capable, a subject, interview subject, is capable of reporting that they are kinky, there's a a step of self-recognition where there are plenty of also people who do kinky things that would not say that. Right. Yeah. There is no hard line between vanilla and kinky. We all kind of bleed into each other's territory. So I would think that, yeah, just by saying that, yeah, I'm kinky or do kinky things, that statement alone biases the sample slightly towards self-acknowledgement. Right. Yeah. So that's absolutely. my speculation on that. Yeah. Um, uh, and about trauma or trauma with a capital T, or lowercase t, or that family backgrounds that were 
hard or not perfect, not nice, damaged, etc. Um, on that, yeah, Ken, you're right. We all have something messed up, and I don't think it's that having the having anything traumatic or trauma in our background or even PTSD. It's what's our resiliency, mm-hmm. and how do we how do we integrate that? How do we deal with that? Uh, do we you know push it under and it comes squeezing out some other way, or do we and do we find ourselves being more resilient and gritty? I, I am interested in the level of resiliency and grit, right? Yeah, but. Yeah, I'm glad that people are talking about um, trauma and, or personal history, good, bad, traumatic, as how it affects one's sexuality. But if we take a microscope to one aspect of it, you know, is it also not possible that a creative, a creative childhood may also, a childhood that's encouraged in creativity, may also lead to greater potential in role play. Has anyone studied that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody has. Nobody. It's all about, let's study the bad stuff and see why it made people perverts. Like, that's the focus of all the studies. Yeah. I've been in conversations where, and, you know, I think it was like a coffee conversation with some friends around uh, why is it that that some sectors of kinksters are infinitely MacGyver-esque creative. And then there's another sector that will only use toys deemed as kink toys. Whereas somebody else, you give them a plastic fork and they've come up with 47 different things to do with it. Right. Totally, totally. And then there's also the crossover between, you know, as Ken and I, as soon as we're done with this recording, we're going to go play Dungeons and Dragons. Like, there's role playing games and like theater people and Renaissance fair people and all of those like creative kind of role play fun, you know, playful, like you, you call, you know, kink akin to childhood play. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely a correlation there. I mean, with my unscientific opinion, which I think holds some weight, and I think yours does too. But uh, yeah. So anyone out there who's looking for a thesis topic for their master's or PhD, consider looking at the potential of creative creativity, resilience, uh, and ability to to think nonlinearly in childhood and correlation with sexual behavior. Yes, I love it. I love it. Uh, so, you know, as we're, we're going to be talking about more, you have uh, forged some really tight and awesome educational ties with the mental health community. But before we get to that, because there's a lot, and I'm super excited. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us how things were a few years back. You know, how did that professional community regard whether it's your work personally or just BDSM educate like serious BDSM education was it not taken seriously was it misunderstood what is a joke you know what what did they think of what we well, do I w- yeah I wish I could draw a clear line in the um uh before destigmatization and after destigmatization however it also depends on the sector of mental health 
and also demographics and geography, right? So in San Francisco here, uh, have there been a full couple of generations of mental health professionals who are like, yeah, okay, kink, it's all right. Um, you know, you're happy. Are you harming people? No, okay, that's fine. Okay, what do you really have a problem with? Oh, you're fighting with your spouse. Okay, about what? The dishes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that in San Francisco has been available for a couple of generations easily. But now, in, even today in other places, you will get uh, mental health professionals and helping professions who still are very negative about kink. Uh, also, just because I'm in San Francisco doesn't mean that, or New York or L.A., uh, that the helping professional may be kink-informed, right? But broad stroke speaking, and I'll speak from my own experience. In my, what, over like 25 so years, shit, what happened to time? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know... I've got, I had gotten used to being dismissed because I am not a, an academic or a clinician. And I have not, because I'm not associated with a, uh, clinical study, right? And because I'm not associated with medical institutions. So getting dismissed, uh, in that sense, or people looking and seeing that I do not have letters after my name. And why don't I have letters after my name? Because I dove right into, right after college, I pretty much went into grassroots smarter sex education. And this was also even like the, you know, have fun sex but have smarter was a message like, you know, use a condom and fuck well, fuck smarter was a message that institutionally was suppressed. In abstinence only and uh, sex equals death kind of way of thinking about it. So, so yeah, you know, not not only not taken seriously, but deemed as harmful, right? right? And I know that there's uh, major sectors of of uh, therapeutic and mental health communities that would consider what I do possibly trite possibly uh, increasing in harm uh, and not taking me and my colleagues' work seriously. So, And, of course, there's the uh, DSM that has, in a lot of ways still do, deem consensual adult sexuality as pathological. So there is that background. And if the therapists or helping professionals train from that, uh, or they come out of a very religiously and, and uh, evangelically influenced mental health, there's going to be a bias. Um, what I do see, so that, that's been what's happening, right? And that giving, also considered that giving first-person information is unprofessional. Like to say, I have done... I have done flogging. I have done DS scenes, DS relationships. Here's my experience. That to share that from a personal perspective has been considered unprofessional. Right. And also, I know some therapists that, you know, uh, yeah, they are kinky and, and sex positive in their private lives. But even though 
divulging that information would uh, be beneficial to patients and, and forge a good connection knowing that their therapist understands them. They're afraid to publicly talk about it because it may threaten their licensure. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. I, uh, I recently had the opportunity to lead a weekend for helping professionals about their own personal sex life and their mm-hmm. own personal kink exploration, not for their clients, right? About themselves. And as we were, uh, there was a section where we were discussing our barriers to engaging fully in our own sexuality. And a huge part of it, was dismissal and stigma as well as as taking their licensure at risk for being honest about their own personal sexuality. I mean, this is no different than when therapists in the past who were gay could not say that because that was also considered a mental health issue. How can you be gay and be a therapist? Oh, no. And, of course, Today we get to seek, oh, you know, I'm looking for a same-gendered individual who's, who I can talk to. Right, right. Yeah. It's just, it's unreal. So, you know, things have changed, obviously, because, like, huge, amazing freaking announcements. And I'm going to let mm-hmm. you, like, is this the first professional kink certification? Like, give us, give us the elevator pitch of okay. what you are right. doing now. I am so excited. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We are, um, by we, I mean, I am working hand-in-hand with Sexual Health Alliance in the launching of the Kink Informed Certification Program for Helping Professionals. Yes. To my knowledge, it is the first of its kind. I am very excited. (laughs) Now, I do want to clarify, this does not mean that there have not been uh, very kink fluent and culturally attuned therapists and helpers out there. There are. Please find them. They are amazing. And they are around. Uh, and you can find them in resources like the Kink Aware Professional List. It is out. They are out there. Please find them. So what's the difference? Okay. The difference in this is if you are in professional certification track, if you are in that, uh, such as ASEC, as this will contribute towards ASEC, American Association of Sex Educators, Therapists, and Counselors, for certification towards that, you also have something to show that says, I have put in a year of coming to understand and better, better be able to serve kink-engaging population. Mm-hmm. So... There are therapists that are already around that do amazing work. But if you want, um, on top of that, if you want to become better trained in terms of understanding what people are really doing. And yeah, it's about getting that, that little line in your CV and your bio that means something in this climate where where that's changing, where silence has now gone into silence and stigmatization is now turning into you knowing this culture and ways of sexuality now allow you to serve your population better and the acknowledgement therein. 
very exciting. Yes. Oh, I yeah. cannot wait. Oh, so oh, I want to. I want to also clarify: you don't have to be a therapist or a counselor or a social worker to join in this training. We're defining helping professionals very broadly. So you may be all of those. You may also say be a school teacher. You may be somebody who's in a population of, I can imagine somebody who works in grassroots public health. I mean, imagine somebody working in a needle exchange. Yeah. Maybe knowing some of this make it possible for your clients to speak more freely and alter their behavior in a more healthy way. Maybe, okay, um, maybe you are a, a helping-minded sex worker. And many of sex workers are, well, helping professions. And I don't mean that in a, a snarky sort of yada, yada, yada kind of way. But I've talked to many of sex workers to whom their primary job is listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you are a helping professional, and in some of the, the occupations, you may not need or have opportunity for certifications. Mm-hmm. Maybe... You do, but in any case, you can put your training in your CV. I love it. I love it. Is this anything that could potentially help attorneys or paralegals? <gasps> oh, my goodness. I had not thought of that. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Because I have actually been hit up by um, defense attorneys from mm-hmm. various different places to discuss specifically around rope marks as in a court case, and yeah. there have been enough of those where people have, um, legal professionals have inquired with me around, and my colleagues around the nature of consent and the common practice within King's yes. subculture. So, yes. Yeah. And that's, that's a hot topic now because I know, and I'm not going to remember all the details, but the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom has been working on this initiative for a while and just made some headway. Um, on changing the legal definition of consent, because as things stand now, if you, you basically can't consent for people to hurt you. So that makes, you know, any kind of sexual assault or anything that happened during a kink scene, it kind of cancels it out. So I know they're making moves to now, um, change the laws in, in local states and municipalities and educate uh, attorneys and defend, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, it's, it's the time for it. It mm-hmm. definitely is. What's unique about this program is I, we are bringing in, in the field, in the community, experts on various topics. And, and we're building modules that, that address things like, um, history of North American, King subcultures of, of, uh, ethics, consideration for ethics for the helping professionals of the self, one's own sexuality versus what, what will you be coming up against as potential ethical issues. We're also talking about, we'll be talking about where to find resources and social aspects of it, as well as commonly uh, commonly engaged in kink-centered relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So stepping out of the academic, and we will provide 
there'll be plenty of um, academics like uh, Dr. Laymiller that will be coming in and speaking around the research and the academics mm-hmm. and rounding that out with making these these subculture and practitioner experts available to the helping professionals. Right, right. Including me, shameless plug. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just having worked in an emergency room before, I can't tell you what a resource this would have been for like emergency room nurses, clinicians, physicians, just to know things oh. on everything from like, uh, like uh, imagine if you were a surgeon and you went in there and somebody had like corset piercings. Uh, yeah, going yeah. down their back, he he may know that it's you know something culturally that may not you know you see what I'm saying, right? It's just like you don't the, have to yeah. call the police to, and yeah, yeah, be like someone's being abused kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, like un- like unexplained um, needle marks, even like for somebody who's a piercing fetishist or a blood play fetishist. Yeah, or even just a bruised ass. Hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And now, also, now let's, too, let's, oh, let's go ahead. play this out, though, because uh, for the listeners, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got a bruised ass from spanking. Maybe it's not even piercing. Ooh, that's too heavy for me. But I do spankings and a little bit of rough sex and a little bit of bondage. Okay. So let's talk about that. And then somehow um, I, uh, so I've got a bruised ass, maybe a little bit of like restraint marks on my wrists and ankles. And let's see. Then I, unrelated, fall down the stairs and break my leg. I'm Mm -hmm. in the ER, right? And then what's the responsibility? Let's play this through. What's the responsibility of the attending medical professionals? Right. To to make sure it wasn't abusive. And if they know nothing about kink, how were they going to do that? And I believe there are several states in which it is a requirement to report potential domestic abuse. Like the mandatory reporting. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things is, is, um, you know, a lot of people in the kink community portray the kink community like it's some utopia where, oh, we know how to communicate and there's a, there's consent, so there's not abuse. That's bullshit. There's abuse within kink, too. There's abuse in any uh, subculture. We're human beings and we're assholes, right? Um, yep. But if you're in that professional kind of, you know, go back to your scenario with the broken leg, um, if you don't know enough about kink and you're that professional that needs to ask the questions to determine exactly what happened here, you know, if you know nothing about kink, how are you going to know to ask the right questions to determine was this just straight up abusive? Was this straight up kink combined with an accident? Or was this abuse within kink? Because all of those things could be a, a scenario. But if if you don't know about those things, how are you going to ask the questions and help make those determinations? Exactly. Oh, I have a, a little medical story. Mm-hmm. And this, this has a lot to do with the privilege of San Francisco. So for the listeners, um, you know, put yourself in my situation in mm-hmm. years. So I was, I was going into an elective knee surgery. This was like 20 years ago. And, and funny, I just saw a knee surgeon <laughs> today. Um, but I went in for elective knee surgery because bad knees, you know, and, uh, in the pre-surgical intake, uh, you know, they were asking about, you know, any you know, allergies, blah, 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 the stuff to write down. And I made a point to the intake nurse to say, uh, I am a consensual sadomasochist and I am going to have a, uh, in- 
consensual encounter the night before the surgery. In other words, I had a play date set up before I had to, you know, mm-hmm. go into, uh, and I yep. had arranged that as a way to have a little <laughs> fun before. <laughs> and so, so, and because my surgery's on my knee, not my ass, you know. Right. So I made her write that down, that I am likely to have contusions on my butt and it is consensual. Uh, and then the, the nurse, this is in San Francisco, looks up at me. I could see her take a big swallow, and look down and write it all down. <laughs> and just continued on. Okay, and then I have my surgery, right? Surgery happens, there's a little complication, so I'm kept in the hospital. Now, my ass at this point, okay, my, my knee hurts. My ass is black and glorious blue, just starting to turn slightly yellow, right? <laughs> and, right, so, uh, and then I'm having infection pain so i called a nurse in and the first nurse i think demerol is it some sort of drug that like took me straight up um the first nurse came up she had the needle in hand and she she looked like butter went melt in her mouth librarian from the 50s is what she looked like and i said excuse me before you you do that because she said roll over and i need to put this in your butt muscle okay uh, I need you to know, and then I explained it, and she blinked and smiled and said, oh, we've been trained about this. Do you mind if I ask anything about it? I'm like, no problem. And I, I rolled over, and I pulled my, pull, pull my, my panties down, and mm-hmm. she says the nicest thing. She's like, oh, it kind of looks like a stained glass window now, doesn't it? Oh, oh, Midori, yeah. you've got a stained glass ass. I know, right? <laughs> and so then, then, then she jabs my ass and I pass out. Uh, oh. The next day, I'm also having a complication. I press my button and a different nurse shows up. Um, older gay man, and he's holding the needle and, and uh, uh, the syringe, and I say the same thing. And then his hand goes on his hip, his head cocks and says, Honey, I go to Dory Alley. Let me see. <laughs> Awesome. And Doriale, for y'all who don't know, is a uh, Folsom Street Fair's dirty younger brother, smaller, nastier, uh, street festival of kink. And so he was just like, mm-mm. And then, like, I think he jabbed it a little extra hard for me. <laughs> um, and I found myself wondering, why are all the nurses here totally cool with it? This is weird, because that's you know, this is 20 years ago. I wasn't expecting this. Right. And then in walks in Dr. Charlie Mosier, who's been working really hard to change the medical and mental health professionals um, around the stigmatization of kink and, and the diagnosis around it. He strolls in, hand in his uh, white lab coat, and then I figured out that he had been uh influencing how the practitioners, and uh, this is the Castro in San Francisco, get educated for sexual diversity. Mm, mm, that is, and, and look at, that made all the difference. I just, I can't imagine if a program like you're doing that maybe was geared specifically towards maybe medical professionals, legal professionals, and police, you know, that, that mm-hmm. bubble, um, if that were required for every city or every hospital or every whatever, 
What a huge difference that would make. That would make such a huge difference. And you know, I keep thinking about the costuming aspect of BDSM, because Mm -hmm. imagine being a furry, Mm -hmm. falling down (laughs) in a dungeon, and you're not able to get your fursona off. Oh. And having to go to the hospital and put up with ridicule, put up with people not taking you seriously, or even worse, imagine if you're a furry and you got raped during a scene. Yeah. How do you, like, how, in, in all sincerity, there's... A dichotomy of right. like, take something that looks humor and something that that is terrible that exactly. happened to a person. Exactly, we have to know they to let them not, know yeah. how to take care of that, or latex clothes, or, or leather. Even making the effort, if it's possible, to instead of cutting off that expensive piece of gear, mm. try yeah. to come up with a compromise. Like if it's like, no, I, there's no here. way One we have to cut it off. We learn as EMTs well, to is cut don't it pay off. attention to but, that specifically but and to, cut right through it because to save somebody, oftentimes you have to cut the outfit. To be sensitive to the emotions that might come up in the person absolutely about like if you're cutting off their you know what you think is their stupid silly furry suit why are they They so upset something off though you know if it was life-threatening right right yeah yeah um now yeah uh in terms yeah and it's it's hard enough that people who are not straight white males do not get taken seriously in in healthcare situations. No and shit. <laughs> Story I have, I have of my so life right now. I privilege with that. It's like yeah. night and day. If Sunny goes into a hospital and I don't say anything and I'm with her versus when I go get treated, I can almost come up with my own diagnosis and have suggested courses of treatment. And they never yeah. questioned it. And they never questioned it. Right. Yeah. So uh, when I was talking about the intake nurse 20 years ago with the knee surgery, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to I'm gonna admit that that was something that um, – I had to make a strong and conscious effort to be completely out, and I know that that was rare, and uh, and it's going to be hard for a lot of people out there. I mean, I was even in San Francisco. I had to, you know, swallow hard and to say that. Yeah. But even that alone is so important for any clinician yeah. to know. Just the fact that this is going to be a difficult thing to talk about. Yes. Right. And to just know, that be able to approach it, to put it into a place of comfort for the person in distress, whether it's legal, medical, or psychological distress. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The holiday season is fast approaching. Do you have someone to play with under the mistletoe? Well, if not, your sex life does not need to suffer. Satisfier creates cutting-edge pleasure products to empower you to stay warm on those cold winter nights. Satisfier goes well beyond traditional vibrators by incorporating air pulse technology. Their air pulse stimulators like the infamous and fabulous Pro 2 excite the clitoris into pure bliss, providing touch-free clitoral massage. The intense pressure waves encourage blood circulation and a sensation similar to the feeling of oral sex. And my new favorite from Satisfier is the Curvy 2. It air pulses, vibrates, and my favorite has Bluetooth controls so I can precision fine tune the pulsing and the vibrating separately for infinite sensation combinations with my smartphone. Or I can grant access to someone else to control it for me no matter where they are in the entire world. 
hello, long distance fun, here I come. This holiday season, give yourself or your loved one the gift of satisfaction. Visit satisfier.com. That's S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com to find your favorite Satisfier products. Everyone needs an escape, but those can be really hard to come by right now. Well, enter Dipsy. Let yourself get lost in a world where good things happen and where your pleasure is the only priority. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy audio story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios so you feel like you're right there. Listen to stories about hooking up with your hometown crush that you never made a move on or that coworker you always had a little thing for. Or maybe a story that puts you in bed with someone who's telling you exactly what they'd like to do to you. Dipsy releases new content every week, so there's always more to explore, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. And if you need to wind down, Dipsy has wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. And for listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash sunny. That's dipsystories.com slash sunny. You know, Midori, you and I have talked a lot about um, the various sub-communities within kink subculture. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked, and this is something that I'm going to be addressing in my book as well. And I think it's a huge piece as to why just general people in the population have the misconceptions they do and why, uh, you know, any kind of care professional does as well, because they're just regular people influenced by society, just like we all are. And Mm -hmm. not only is is there a lot of misconception coming from, you know, mainstream media and Fifty Shades of Grey and 365 Days, you know, all those things, there Mm -hmm. is a lot of, you know, as I say, the myths are coming from within inside the house. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the kink community itself perpetuates a lot of myths. And I see, you know, one of my specialties, in, in both myself and Ken, is working with people who are new to kink and just coming into the community. And mm-hmm. usually they will see, um, you know, the, the squeakiest wheel gets the grease, the loudest kinksters that profess all of these, this is the way kink is. So these people who, who come into the community thinking they know nothing about kink, and they kind of get through like that first level knowledge where they're like, well, I've learned from the kinksters themselves. I must know how it all goes. And then they realize later, all that shit was wrong. Um, <laughs> how much does that phenomenon affect the mental health field, because I see a lot of, of, of therapists and, you know, anyone in the care field, you know, the larger care field, maybe they have a little bit of exposure to kink and they think they know it, but sometimes it does more harm than good. Talk about that for me. 
Well, yeah, I agree with you. And I've seen, uh, I've, for example, human sexuality classes, right? Or that may be training future professionals and maybe part of a curriculum for social work training, et cetera, that, that I've seen cases where a couple of people will be brought in and there's this generalization that the way that these two or three people do it is how everyone does it. And that also has to assume that the two or three people that are representing all of kingdom is uh, uh, okay themselves. That they're, yeah. So, mm-hmm. Uh, there's that. Uh, and and the, the bias in the sampling, because not everybody kinky is engaging in kink social subcultures. And there's this idea that if you engage in kink, you have to be social. Now, that creates a pressure. That creates additional social pressure. Or that if you, conversely, if you like hanging out in a kink and sexually social environment, that you also have to engage in practices that are common to that. Right? That all kinksters go to munches and events and they're all polyamorous. No. No, and and is it possible that this could add to somebody's social anxiety around kink and their own identity? Now, in that case, is kink the problem? No, it's social anxiety. But if the professionals, uh, the the caring professionals, assume that kink is engaged in a social milieu. Will they ever identify what the actual issue is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's they are um, continuing the the peer pressure and the judgment and you know I'm kinkier than you are kind of attitude that the kink community has, and that, you know the kink community has very many positive aspects. But it is a community, it is a social group, just like any other social group in the world. And it has its problems, just like any social group in the world. Um, and, and I feel like when the, you know, communities outside of kink sort of latch onto that, they're perpetuating that like social pressure and peer pressure and, oh, you have to be a certain way to be kinky or you're not doing it right kind of. And yeah, that doesn't help anyone. And, yeah. And uh, you were talking about the myth that, uh, the kink practicing and kink subculture people are more sophisticated around consent, right? There's this myth that, that because we know like five or six more words and right. have like, have like a dozen more toys in our toy bag. Exactly. That, that somehow we, that everything that we do is clear, planned, and enthusiastically consensual. Bullshit. Right. <laughs> and yeah. if if I could if I can expand on that, which really gets my goat. God, how old am I? It's just like gets my goat. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> but is that you know when it comes? You know, I, I I'm very much 
lately focusing on abuse within kink because mm-hmm. it is that that notion that oh we're so evolved that we can't have abuse in our community and it's actually like uh, you know even listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the kink community are familiar with maybe sex positivity or feminism and you know that person and in this scenario it's usually like a cis man who comes into the community who knows all the lingo who's such a feminist and knows all the words and all the processes, but really that can be co-opted to hide abuse. Um, and I'm not saying only men do this. It's all sorts of different people, but sometimes the framework of kink can be co-opted and used as a, you know, sheath to hide under um, when really you're a horrible person and a bad actor and doing abusive shit, but you know the fancy words and you know the lingo and you know how to play it off. And sometimes that can make it easier to get away with bullshit. W- what do you feel about that angle? Yes, and it's also a situation where uh, intentional or unintentional gaslighting can happen uh-huh. because so it's like, oh, uh, expand we, we on all, that, yeah, uh, uh, and gaslighting as uh, and for the the listeners that that other people convincing you that the reality that you are experiencing is not so. Uh-huh. Right, changing the scenario around you and changing the attribution or, or the, the belief in the context that, uh, so if somebody is, say, in a DS relationship, right, where it's emotionally exploitative and let's say that there isn't, uh, let's say there isn't uh, sadomasochism, so there's not harm to the body, okay, there's not, there's not Harm to the skin or body. So, okay, at that one level, it's not abuse. Oh, but uh, there's this emotional manipulation going on. Oh, but this is what we agreed to, and they consented to this. So, in that situation, where there are no marks on the body, right, and and yet there's something exploitative and and fundamentally unhealthy going on. How do you untangle the unconventional power authority distributed relationship from that which is exploiting the ways of of the subculture? I mean, we see this in heteronormative marriage assumption as well. Oh, it's you know, a nice couple married, you know, look, you know, they're so quiet next door, and mm-hmm. and that. They all look so happy and yet not understanding that there's something else going on. Oh, I do also want to say that the assumption of the abuse and exploitation and that which passes for, uh, passes for a uh, healthy or common, say, DS relationship. And when that's not healthy, it can also happen to the person who's topping or dominating. Yeah, and thank you for that. Thank you and, for that, yes. And within our culture, there is this assumption, even stronger than from the outside, that, oh, well, you know, you're the lead in the relationship, so uh, how on earth can you be abused by the other? Well, that is as if to say that partner abuse can only happen in one direction. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you for that. Because that that's a huge misconception. You know, they see the person that seemingly has all the power and think, well, of course, you've got to be the abusive one. And sure, you know, if you're a dominant, the way things are configured, it might be easy to hide under that in an abusive nature. But on the same token, like you said, you can also be the submissive partner and be abusive. I just think it's something that maybe people either aren't as familiar with or can't imagine as easily. So they think it can't happen. So I have actually seen this in where the partner who partner who wants to be in this serious relationship that they have imagined either cajoles pressures cajoles or pressures the other partner to take on authority that they don't want to, to dress in a way that they don't want to, to perform in a way that they don't want to, and for there is this perceived cost or risk. And in this case, the person who's being put in the role of a dominant may be getting told that, oh, well, you know, you just need to be more confident. Uh, you just need to, you know, read this book, take these classes, uh, and then, then, you know, you're not, you're not strong enough as a woman. You need to get stronger, and I will show you by being your slave. I, I've actually known a case where, and I can speak a little obliquely about this, where a abusive, uh, abusive guy who found a woman who's new to kink latched himself onto her as the expert because he's been doing this for years. Essentially created a dependency where uh, he was also uh, driving the kid. There, there was a, a like a single-digit child involved here and dri- driving the woman's kid to, to work, to driving at school, to driving the, the woman to work uh, where there was this dependency formed and that uh, he pressured her into performing his image of dominance and I may have challenged that situation and then, <laughs> uh, his response was uh, to to the woman in question, well, Midori really doesn't know anything. Uh, that is a sentence that is not uttered in this world. And, uh, Dory knows a lot. <laughs> Well, you know, my bookkeeper and my tax preparer get to say that because I don't know jack shit about that. But, you know, not in this realm. So, yeah, I've I've actually directly been in a situation where I witnessed somebody who in and tried to help somebody in in the subculture who everybody thought that she was in control and this was all fine. And it was a whole, whole song and dance and script that, oh yeah, the clothes, the, the uh, everything that he created her into. Yeah. So, there's a long, complicated and sad story about how abuse can happen under the language and the props of, of BDSM and not be noticed 
right under your dungeon nose. Yep. Yeah. And if the professionals can't, you know, like, let's say that person was seeing a therapist regularly. And if they had no idea what kink dynamics really look like, really look Mm -hmm. like from the inside out, not just like a flyby, you know, I took a class once or I saw Fifty Shades. Uh, that could be totally missed even by the professionals. That's one of the reasons why what you are doing is so important. Additionally, about kink-informed certification, it's not just the material that you're gaining, uh, the, the immediate modules that you are learning. It is also the network that you create, the, the, the experts, the subject matter experts that we're bringing in, meeting them, meeting your other cohorts. So now in a cohort class, you will have, you will have the therapists, the coaches, the nurses, the, 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 the sex worker, the, uh, doctor, the, the, you know, the mother of kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you now establish a network of professionals that you can turn to and say, hey, I have this case. Can I, can you consult me on this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. So one, I guess the last thing I want to touch on, which I hadn't really thought about until recently, tell me about, um, experiences and not even specific experiences, but just general of, uh, mental health or care professionals who let's say are sex positive, they are the good ones that we're saying, go find and go see them. Um, What's it like with their other professional peers that maybe aren't as sex positive? Do they get shit within their industry? Yes. Yes. Tell me about that. Okay. And this is, this is based on what those professionals have told me. Because let's face it, I'm a bit of an outlier kind of right. pet role, having invented my own career. Uh, and I had to invent this because there was no other place. Right. Uh, there are risks for not just the side eye, right? And then there's, then there is the toxic rumor within the industry, whatever profession that you're in. Oh, so and so, you know, I, I don't think that they're actually qualified because they openly talk about kink and have no problems with it. Can you believe it? All the way to uh, their professional credentials being questioned or possibly revoked within their industry. Mm. Unreal. And I never would have thought about that, but wow. Or their publication and their literature not being taken seriously. Wow. The kink stigma is real and deep. It is. I am, however, very excited about this whole new generation of therapists and helping professionals that are coming up because they know more of first-hand experience as well as the shift in generation mm-hmm. that sexual diversity and personal expression is so varied. There is this new generation, and I say new, not young, because some of these professionals are not young. Mm-hmm. Some, some are young. Some are newly uh, forging their way in their industry. Mm-hmm. 
And the more of us that there are, it makes it easier for the sex positive professional to say, hey, I don't think that's right. Yeah. So there's a change happening, and it is exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited for how things are going to be changing. And, you know, not just in kink, but sex positivity in general. Like, I just read a an article that, you know, I think one out of four uh, Gen Zers identify as non-binary. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, wow. So, whew, I'm excited. So tell us. The, so the, the world, the world envisioned by Ursula Le Guin may be actually happening. Ooh, yeah, I love it. I love it. So tell us. You know, obviously, for those listening who are in some kind of care profession, even if it's like the outskirts, like we were talking about, attorneys mm-hmm. or social workers, the larger whatever you do, uh, I'm going to have in the show notes all the information for this certification and for my understanding it's like another month so you can get in and then you're sol is yep. that okay yep yep okay yep and it is, it is self-paced so for those of you who are interested in enrolling or know somebody who might be interested in enrolling one you do not have to be kinky you just need to be compassionate two you do not have to be uh, you know, some sort of board certified in your industry professional with, you know, uh, you don't know, you don't have to be. Uh, is it, it is, it's asynchronous. In other words, there's going to be readings and video and listening and homework that you will do on your own pace as well as, uh, monthly meetings around that month's topic. Mm-hmm. So there are, there's live support. Uh, as well as some solid academic as well as community experts talking that you can listen, read, and watch at your own pace. And we can't, I can guarantee you, we cannot cover everything because we can't, because it's just a year. Mm -hmm. However, we will provide a large amount of material for you to do additional learning if that shall benefit you. That's amazing. Yeah. And and for, you know, civilians listening who maybe have a mental health or care professional that, you know, maybe needs to learn a little more, point them in this direction. Um, also, if let's say... If you're Googling this, look under sexualhealthalliance.com. Awesome. And I'll have the link directly to the program in the show notes, which are... Uh, at the, for this episode, americansexpodcast.com or whatever streaming service people are listening to this on, just go to the show notes on the streaming service. Mm-hmm. It should be there too. Um, and you. last, I guess t- to wrap up, uh, what if, let's say you're a civilian who has a therapist or whatever and they don't understand mm-hmm. kink at all and you've tried to point them in the right direction and they're not really going and getting additional learning credits or, you know, whatever they need, not doing a program like this, not doing their own work, and they just expect you to educate them. What would you tell that person who's in that therapy relationship? So, is the therapist going to pay you for the time that you're educating them? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's one thing to to make some clarifications, right? Uh, right. To, to reframe things. Yeah, that's part of the therapeutic relationship. But if you're spending 
session after session explaining what you're doing, who's paying who. Yeah. 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 There's a, can I tell a funny story? Go, yes, my totally. Therapist? Okay, yes. so, so I've, okay, so one, I've had a therapist that was very kink negative and that was unpleasant, but actually made, made things worse for my mental health. That oh. was not fun. But I found a therapist who, um, gay man, San Francisco, and just, and, and, and one day I was like, are you okay if I get sexually explicit? Because it had something to do with my communication with my person, right? right. And like normal relationship stuff that also involved whips and chains and fisting, but it was normal relationship stuff with props. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, oh, no, no, go, go ahead, go ahead, be explicit. I'm totally fine with that. And then because he's cis male gay, at another session, I wanted to know about what a prostate and penis having person's experience can be when a fisting, anal fisting, doesn't go the way we planned it. And I wanted to know how that could affect a guy. I mean, there are certain points in which that's universal, Uh human, right? But I also wanted to hear from a guy. Right. And he was willing to share with me. And I was like, wow, okay. Because he could have said, you know, not my arena, read this book. Right. Okay, I'm not. And he actually talked about a range of experiences from a prostate-having perspective. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. that And it's like, you'd be hard-pressed to find most therapists wouldn't do that. But in that moment, I'm sure that helped you tremendously. And that's exactly what was needed in that conversation. Yeah. I needed the perspective in order for me to better step myself into compassionate for for the the person that I'm talking about and compassion for me and understand the situation and to be able to work through the thing that I was concerned about. Uh, Yeah. I was really surprised he went there and the therapist. I was like, I was so grateful. Aww. I want more therapists in the world like that. Well, keep doing your work and maybe there will be. David Ortman and... Uh, Richard Sprout, Sprout, sorry, S-P-R-O-T-T. There's a book called Sexual Outsiders. Sexual Outsider, Understanding BDSM Sexualities and Communities. I would highly recommend that to incredibly uh, professional, researching, compassionate, good humans and therapists. I think nice. one is actually a psychiatrist, researching psychiatrist. Um, Very cool. Yeah, really, really good source. Nice. Yeah. Now, now I got another book to add to my list. Last time we talked, you made me buy another book. <laughs> well, I was talking about, I'm like, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to order that. My book budget mm-hmm. is way over what it should be for this year. Um, anyway, this has been amazing. Thank you, as always. I am so excited about what you're doing. And I know, I want to find out what else is going on. I know it's, is it your 20th anniversary of your book this year? Like right now, like this month? Yes. 
Okay, what's going on? September, September, Seductive Art of Japanese Bondage, first English language instruction book on Shibari. And before that, we were like getting things in from Japan and and photocopying things. Uh, Seductive Art of Japanese Bondage came out September 2001. Oh, happy book anniversary. Thank you. And it's been in continuous sale for, for 20 years and turning people on and, and, I I am I'm happy that that people are still proving on because of that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're listening, American fuckers, you're sitting there going, "I'm kind of interested in Shibari. I don't have that but buy it for the 20th anniversary. Go do it." And I'll also have all the places people can find you in the show notes, you know, your website, your social media, and all that fun stuff. But is there anything else you've got going on before we get going that you want to let people know about? Well, there's my Patreon, (gasps) patreon.com forward slash Planet Midori. I am using uh, Patreon as a place to, to teach, to share, share my art. And every other week, I have a live office hour. Uh Yeah. And that's that's been that's been really great. Some like really smart and nice people, and you know we talk about uh, kink, art, relationships, um, and goof around. And yeah, that's been that's been really good. Oh, I've got a another. I just got scheduled for talking about the the history, talking more and further about the history of Japanese bondage on shibaristudy.com. It's, it's, it's going to be a free talk. So oh, cool. Very, yeah, very that's cool. happening. Yeah. And I continue to talk about consent agency and collaborative joy-making in my consent dojo. Mm-hmm. And I'll be yes. talking with you this month. I'm so happy about that. Oh, my Yay! God. And of course, oh, I'll have oh, details oh, oh. in the show notes, listeners. Oh, and there's this like really cool uh, class coming up around um, uh, two of them. Actually, one is, a, and I'll have a recording on my Patreon, is how to use your kink negotiation skills in money negotiation. I saw that and I was like, oh, my broke ass needs that class so bad. It's so good. It's so good. You know, you and I were talking recently about how do we put value to what we do. Right. And how do we you know, negotiate around uh, as a consultant or contractor? And he, this is what he does. This is what he does is help creatives. And, and he's also kinky, so he's like converting. He's converting my particular negotiation technique into uh-huh. talking about money in a way where everybody's happy. <gasps> oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. I will be I will be on your Patreon looking yeah. for that. I'm oh, and the other one is uh, I have a um, fab, my makeup artist slash esthetician does boyzillions. Oh. And one day when I was having my makeup done for a photo shoot, I asked him about, so how does this work, you know, with the wobbly bits? How does it, I know how it works on, on my Volvo parts, but how does it work with Audi parts? So he's going to do a presentation on how boyzillions work. <gasps> oh. Yes. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm excited. I know. <laughs> I see such great stuff happening. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so freaking much. I'm excited. The world's excited. 
Um, until we make it a fifth or sixth time, I guess, whatever the next one is, it'll be happening. Don't worry. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.